This Capital Ministries Bible study from President and Founder Ralph Trollinger is entitled Knowing Jesus, The Vital Role of Spiritual Gifts. This week's study in our continuing series on Knowing Jesus relates to ascertaining and practicing your spiritual gifts. Jesus had all the spiritual gifts. Today, His body is comprised of individual believers who possess certain allotments or portions of them. It follows then that only when we know and practice our gifts in unity does the world see Christ in the capital. When we don't, they don't. What is or what are your spiritual gifts? Are you practicing them? Let us study on. An Introduction to Spiritual Gifts The body of Christ functions as intended by Christ only when believers come into contact with another and practice their spiritual gifts. Therein Jesus ministers via His chosen ones in His body. Accordingly, this week's study is a select overview of the spiritual gifts in a given body of believers. As 1 Corinthians 12, 4-6 states, God diversely and supernaturally gifts, at the time of salvation, all who have placed their faith in Him. It is therefore important for one to understand, discover, and practice what God intends for him to focus on for the purpose of building up the body of Christ, not only in one's home district, but in the place where God has sent him to the hill. How does Ephesians 5.17 underscore the previous? So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. What does Matthew 5:15 through 16 state in this regard? It reads, Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and he gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Note that spiritual gifts differ from talents. Believers and unbelievers alike all share natural abilities. An atheist or agnostic can be a talented speaker, lawyer, painter, or rocket scientist. Spiritual gifts, on the other hand, differ. They are present only through salvation, and they uniquely equip only believers with a specific intent to minister to others. Every believer excels and achieves in his personal ministry to the extent he practices what God, in his sovereignty, has especially equipped him to do. Post-salvation, every believer has his or her own special, limited, spiritual capabilities with which God has empowered him or her to minister most effectively to others. In speaking of spiritual gifts, Romans 12, 4-5 states, For just as we have many members in one body, all the members do not have the same function. So we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. What does 1 Corinthians 12.11 state in this regard? It reads, But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as He wills. What then are these spiritual gifts? The following is a comprehensive list of biblically described spiritual gifts categorized into three areas. Under speaking, prophecy, knowledge, wisdom, teaching, exhortation. Serving, leadership, 
helps, giving, mercy, faith, discernment, and signing, healings, languages, interpretations, miracles. In that this week's study is not intended to be a comprehensive investigation of all the previous gifts, three verbal and three serving gifts will be the focus herein, with the intent to provide more than an ample picture of how God has designed His church, the body of Christ, to grow people into His likeness. God has provided a means by which we can increasingly know Jesus, and it is not solo. An Overall Perspective on Spiritual Gifts Before specifically examining six of the gifts, further perspective will prove helpful. The gifts are not neatly packaged. Notice that this week's memorization passage incorporates a threefold usage of the word variety. Properly understood, the gifts are akin to a palette of primary colors, from which the Lord amalgamates, empowers, and paints one-of-a-kind masterpieces. What does Ephesians 2.10 state in this regard? For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. There are many degrees and combinations of giftedness. What does 1 Peter 4.10a state in this regard? It states, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. The gifts are intended to benefit others. 1 Corinthians 12.7 states that the spiritual gifts are for the common good. Good, sumphron, means to bring together or to confer a benefit. In the memorization verse, the word ministries, diaconia, can be translated as services. So the big idea is that spiritual gifts are intended by Jesus to serve others. Why did Jesus, according to Mark in 1045, come into the world? For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. One's spiritual gift or gifts is or are intended for another's benefit. To complete 1 Peter 4.10, employed in serving one another. Think unselfishly about your spiritual gifts. God gives one or more of them to you, but not for you. They are to be used by you to serve others and build them up. To the degree you do this, you will possess a high degree of inner peace and fulfillment. The gifts are to be practiced in humility. At the conclusion of 1 Corinthians 12, Paul states, But you earnestly desire the greater gifts, and I show you a still more excellent way. Earnestly desiring, zelu, could be translated as pridefully. In context, one could fall into the trap of wanting certain spiritual gifts in order to be like another. The more excellent way, however, is not having a self-centered attitude about giftedness, but rather to want to love and serve others in a way best suited for them, not yourself. 1 Corinthians 13 immediately follows the context of Paul's previous admonition. Notice that chapter 13 is stated in contrast to the conclusion of 1 Corinthians 12, 
Chapter divisions were not a part of the original manuscripts. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully just as I also have been fully known. But now faith, hope, love, abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. One is to employ in a spirit of humility whatever it is that God has given him so as to build his glory into the lives of others. Summary on Perspective To the degree one can know and ascertain the biblical content of each gift, is the degree to which he or she can entertain the possibility of personal fit. This is critically important so that one best understands what role he need take on in achieving God's big plan. Spiritual maturity, knowing Jesus, means one need grasp how God specifically intends to use him in the building up of his body. What does Ephesians 2.22 state in this regard? in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. The Speaking Gifts In the overview of spiritual gifts, this study will examine those ones listed in Romans 12, 6-8. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. What follows first are the speaking gifts that are mentioned in the passage prophecy, teaching, and exhortation. The gift of prophecy. The Greek word for prophecy, propheteia, literally and simply means speaking forth or to proclaim and can be best understood as the present-day gift of preaching. In 1 Corinthians 14.3, Paul said, But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. 
Therefore, the gift of prophecy today has everything to do with the forth telling of God's word in essence. It is the gift of being God's public spokesman, a very sobering and important empowerment by God's grace that some church leaders and some Christian legislators possess. At times, God has used his public spokesman to not only foretell, but foretell future events and give new revelation. But now that the scripture is complete and the canon is closed, it seems to follow that the gift of prophecy is manifest primarily through one who proclaims God's will via the enunciation and heralding of his written word. How does Revelation 22, 18-19 limit our understanding of prophecy to forth-telling only? It reads, I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city, which are written in this book. More understanding of this is perhaps in order. Those who believe that the foretelling element of this gift no longer exists are known today as cessationists. They believe the elements of the gift to predict and provide new revelation as seen in the Old Testament and during the apostolic time no longer remain operational today. Those who believe that foretelling elements of the gift do remain operational are known as continuationists, and within evangelicalism are known as charismatics or Pentecostals. Arguing either position requires complex theological discussion beyond the purpose of this study. Personally, I tend to see this the way Calvin did, that those gifted with prophecy are instruments of God to make known His Word with power, clarity, and authority. Calvin said, Prophecy at this day in the Christian church is hardly anything else than the right understanding of the Scripture and the peculiar faculty of explaining it. Suffice to say that I see no reason for the body of Christ to divide over this issue, especially in an outpost for Christ like the Capitol. Both theological camps would agree with the following the gift of prophecy, and your maturity. The practice of the gift of prophecy is enormously beneficial in maturing people in Christ. Ephesians 4.11 states that, And he gave some as prophets for the equipping of the saints to the building up of the body of Christ. Unfortunately, there are too few excellent preachers in our land today. The wise person places him or herself in a ministry setting where there is one. The benefit is enormous. One cannot underestimate the value of belonging to a body of believers where there is excellent weekly exposition of God's Word. Spiritually, it is a decision between digesting long-term a junk food diet versus the regular consumption of solid meals. One's spiritual health is dependent on the decisions he makes to associate with the God-given gift to build up his called-out ones. Take advantage of the gift. The gift of teaching. The Greek word for teaching is didaskalia. This word relates to both what is taught and the act of teaching it. The English word didactic means a moral teacher. 
Kaleo is even easier to transliterate, meaning to call. The believer possessing this divine enablement has the ability to interpret and present God's truth in ways understandable. How did the Apostle Paul evidence his possession of this gift in Acts chapter 20, verse 27? For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. The teaching gift is the ability to give systematic and regular instruction of God's Word. Characteristic of the first century church was strong, regular teaching. What does Acts chapter 2, verse 42a state was characteristic of the first century church? They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. The gift of teaching is vitally important to the growth of the body of Christ in that, fulfilling the Great Commission, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, is synonymous with go and make disciples. Cross-reference Matthew 28, 19-20. For the body of Christ to be obedient to its primary marching orders, there must be the systematic teaching of God's Word. If you follow my previous logic, without that gift being practiced, there is no disciple-making, and there will exist fewer mature agents of salt and light in the capital as a result. And one need add that William Penn said that good hearts are the basis of good laws. It follows that if one is serious about becoming a disciple, he will align himself with someone or others who possess this gift. Why refuse opening a gift? What is the difference between the gifts of prophecy and teaching? Here is a hint. It is not one of content, rather ability. The former is gifted to proclaim, the latter to systematically and regularly instruct. In Acts 17, one sees Paul's gift of prophecy in his one-time address in the midst of the Areopagus to the citizens of Athens. And as noted previously in Acts 20, His gift of teaching is on display. He had previously spent three years building up the Ephesian elders. Cross-reference verse 31. Both gifts are needed to mature the body. In Luke 24, 27 and 32, how do the two disciples on the road to Emmaus illustrate the life-changing effects of these gifts? Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, He explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. They said to one another, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? Finally, one who is a leader in God's work must be able to teach. Note 1 Timothy 3, 2 in this regard. An overseer, then, must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, temperate prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Be wary of anyone who functions as a spiritual leader in some way and is not in a Bible teaching function. Spiritual leadership, which lacks Bible teaching, tends to drift away from God's Word. A ship without a steady directional rudder in the end makes no measurable progress, and disciples are not made, nor at the end of the day will there be strong agents of preservation and illumination, salt and light, in the capital. The gift of exhortation. The Greek word for exhortation, parakaleo, 
is a combination of two words, para, which means alongside, and as previously seen, kaleo means calling. Literally, this person is gifted, called to come along another side. Characteristic of the person with this gift is his or her propensity to be able to get close to people in order to encourage, advise, strengthen, warn, and or comfort them. The gift is manifest by the ability to walk alongside someone who is hurting, discouraged, or depressed. It is the supernatural ability to carry one another's burdens. In Acts chapter 14, verses 21 through 22, how do Paul and Barnabas portray this gift? It states, After they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying, Through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. The gift of exhortation is underscored in Hebrews as well, where the writer admonishes believers to Consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. Chapter 10, verse 24 through 25. Do you possess a divine enablement to encourage others in the capital? Do you practice it? Such a gift is critically important to practice in the capital, especially in an ideologically gridlocked Congress where little is accomplished. Those who hold to biblically-based values and policies need to be constantly encouraged to stand strong by other believers who possess this gift. Summary on these three speaking gifts. Whereas the gift of prophecy proclaims the truth of God's Word, teaching systemizes it and makes it simple to understand. Finally, the gift of exhortation helps one to integrate the truths of God's Word. The exhorter calls others to obedience and faithful lifestyles consistent with the proclaimed and taught truths of Scripture. Each of these speaking gifts is necessary in order to mature believers in Christ. As with Paul, sometimes these three gifts exist and are beautifully blended in a variety of combinations within the same person. No matter what your degree of giftedness may be, let us all be mature in our use of them. What did Paul say to the believers in the imperial capital of Rome, per Romans 12.11, in context and regards to their practice of their spiritual gifts? It states, Not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. The Serving Gifts What follows next is an examination of three of the serving gifts listed in the home passage of Romans 12, 6-8. Leadership, Service, and Giving Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Do you possess one or more of these gifts? If so, 
How do you employ it or them in the arena to which God has called you to minister at home and on the hill? The gift of leadership. The Greek word for lead, proistomai, listed in Romans 12, means to stand before. This word is found elsewhere to refer to headship in the family. Translates into English here as the word manages in 1 Timothy 3, 4, 5, 12. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? Deacons must be husbands of only one wife and good managers of their children and their own households. In the listing of spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul refers to this same gift, yet uses another word, kubernesis, which means to guide. That word, found elsewhere in the New Testament, refers to a helmsman, a person who steers a ship. Cross-reference Acts 27.11 and Revelation 18.17. Perhaps the best way to explain the spiritual gift of leadership is to illustrate what God's people look like without it. In Paul's first letter to Corinth, he makes no mention of the operation of this gift. Accordingly, anarchy, serious spiritual and moral degeneration, characterized the church. In Judges 21-25, there is a siren verse depicting Israel's void of leadership in this period of their history. What resulted? In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Both Corinth and the period of the judges illustrate what happens when the gift of leadership is nowhere practiced in the body today. What did Paul say when speaking to the church at Rome in Romans 12.8 that one who possesses this gift should practice? Or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. The word for diligence, spude, means earnestness and zeal. It is used this way in Mark 6.25 where Herod's brother's wife's daughter, i.e. Herod's dancing girlfriend, asks for the head of John the Baptist. The passage states, She came in a hurry, literally spude, to the king, and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. In Luke one thirty nine, one reads, Now at this time Mary arose and went in a hurry, literally spude, to the hill country, to a city of Judah, and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. What does the previous word usages suggest should be characteristic about one who possesses this gift today? If one has this gift... He need get after the task. This person will know what God wants and needs to accomplish, and he will be able to get others to follow him in the task. There is hustle in his step. He will be void of procrastination and idleness. Although there are many despicable qualities in the life of General Patton, not the least of which was his theology, he vividly possessed the attribute of tenacious constancy, earnestness, and zeal for an objective. A burning, compelling desire to achieve a goal will characterize all with this gift. The mature spiritual gift of leadership is distinguished by achievement of objectives near to the heart of God, 
which includes winning souls and building God's kingdom in ways strategic. A passion to lead in the body of Christ and steer the ship should stem not from motives of self-glory. Rather, this self-forgetting drive germinates from the sobering reality that people who know not the Savior are headed to an eternity without God. Oh, that we might reach more on the hill with the saving gospel of Christ. Oh, that we might plant 50 ministries in our 50 state capitals, thousands of ministries in city and county government, and 200 ministries in 200 foreign federal capitals in the next 20 years. This needs to be a team effort. The Gift of Service The spiritual gift of service, diaconia, is described with the same root from which we derive the church office of deacon or woman deacon. These offices are portrayed in 1 Timothy 3, 8-13. While not everyone with the gift of service will hold the office of a deacon, the scriptural investigation of the office will shed light on one's understanding of this gift. Deacons likewise must be men of dignity, not double-tongued or addicted to much wine or fond of sordid gain, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. These men must also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Deacons must be husbands of only one wife and good managers of their children and their own households. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. In Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, the church was growing so fast that the leadership could not keep up with all the practical demands. Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip. Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And these they brought before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. How did the church leaders respond to these needs? Seeing this distinction, notice that in 1 Timothy 3, 8-13, the only difference between the qualifications of an elder or overseer in the church 1 Timothy 3, 1-7, and a deacon is the ability to teach. It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer, then, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, 
keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? And not a new convert, so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church, so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Accordingly, God gifts his body with certain men and women who serve to free up those gifted to proclaim, teach, and exhort the body, the three speaking gifts mentioned previously. They do this by taking on all serving tasks necessary to keep the speaking gifts fully operative, gifts that require serious, long, private hours of preparation in order to be effective. The result of this symbiosis is a growing, flourishing body of believers whose spiritual and practical needs are met in abundance. Lastly, the gift of service is wide in its application. It is similar to the gift of helps described in 1 Corinthians 12.28. It is a practical gift motivating those possessing it to take care of the small things which often seem less important to others. Those with the gift are unseen and quite content to not be recognized. In whatever they do, they do all for the glory of Jesus Christ, cross-reference Colossians 3.17, and Him alone. Accordingly, they are overjoyed in their behind-the-scenes humble service. The Gift of Giving Another gift which God gives is the gift of giving, metadidomi. The Greek word means to share and give that which is one's own. Those possessing this gift are motivated to give of their time, talent, and treasure sacrificially and do so with great joy. Paul illustrated this gift when he expressed to the church at Thessalonica, saying, Having such a fond affection for you, we were well pleased to impart, metadidomi, not only the gospel of God but also our own lives, because you would become very dear to us. Chapter 2, verse 8. John the Baptist said, Let the man who has two tunics share metadidomi with him who has none. Luke 3.11 in describing this gift, Paul said, Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. 1 Timothy 6.18 The word liberality, haplotis, came to mean generosity. Says one commentator, Liberality is open-heartedness which is untainted by affection or ulterior motives. The gift of giving does not give for oneself, but of oneself. How is the opposite of the spirit of this gift displayed in Matthew 6, 2, and by whom? So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. The saints, with the gift of giving, often possess the ability to acquire resources and create wealth. God does not intend for the wealth He gives to be hoarded by the one possessing the gift. Rather, those so endowed need view themselves as stewards of God's possessions. As a venture capitalist carefully studies his or her investments, where might they attain the greatest return on investment, the one gifted in giving asks, Where can I invest in God's work? to bring the greatest return of souls and the strategic 
long-term advancement of God's kingdom. This is the serious responsibility of the one possessing this gift, often wisely coupling resources with the gifts of leadership and proclamation to advance God's work on earth. Summary of the Gifts This brief study on the gifts, it occurs to me that you might not think this to be brief, has hopefully provided insight as to how God intends His body to function, not only in terms of personal maturation, but witness. Over my years of ministry in the capital community, I have noted that some public servants who name the name of Christ in their district keep their religion to themselves in the capital community. For whatever reasons, they mistakenly remain silent in D.C. Such a position, while perhaps politically expedient, directly contrasts Jesus' instruction in the Sermon on the Mount. Note Matthew 5, 14-16. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. True followers of Christ need to remember God has called you to D.C. for more than legislative purposes. Be diligent, therefore, to fulfill your calling. When you leave office, will you have achieved ultimate impact relative to the huge sacrifices you are making in order to be here? Will you be able to say, like the Apostle Paul at the end of his service, I have fought the good fight, I finished the course, I have kept the faith, 2 Timothy 4, seven. God has placed you in D.C. to make a difference, not just legislatively, but spiritually in the lives of others. It follows that you should make a concerted effort to practice your spiritual gifts here and have a spiritual impact. Such an emphasis will inevitably lead to a greater legislative impact. Think about it. What did Paul tell Timothy to do in 2 Timothy 1.6? For this reason I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. In order for the body of Christ to flourish, all believers need use, often refresh, hone, and focus their ministry purposes and emphases. Remember, others are depending on you to exercise your gift or gifts. God designed it that way, so use them. This concludes our Bible study for this week. May God bless you deeply. Thank you for all you do in our great country and on the Hill. This is Frank Sontag.